What's the worst investment you've ever made? The worst. Did you lose 100%? I sure hope you didn't do worse than that. I mean, the only way to do worse than that is to borrow money that you didn't have and then lose all of that. Well, as many losers as I've had and as used to losing as I am, I've still never picked a stock for The Motley Fool that went down 100%, but I've come close. And this time, every year, once a year, I talk about my worst stock picks, my biggest losers over the past three years. If winners win, losers lose. And it's important to talk about both. So come with me, won't you? To the dark side, the shadow side, the losing side. Let's explore and learn today on my annual David's Biggest Losers, Volume 6, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Happy New Year. I sure hope I'm not the first one to wish you Happy New Year, but if I am, you're probably pretty locked down. Thanks for finding me. Thanks for finding me on the one podcast that I hate doing every year. Yep, it's my biggest losers looking at the six worst stocks I've picked over the last three years. You know, I was Googling David's Biggest Losers. You can Google the phrase. Go ahead. David's Biggest Losers. We rank top across the entire internet for that phrase. In fact, shows from the last few years dominate Google for that phrase. We are smoking the television show Biggest Loser in this search engine optimization battle. You have to go down to the fifth search result after Googling David's Biggest Losers before you get to a link to the Biggest Losers television show wiki located at the site Fandom, where there's a page dedicated to David Lee, who appeared on the show's seventh season, which was, huh, 2009, who started that season's show with a body mass index, wow, of 53.3. The record will show it says he was sent home in week one. He was eliminated in week four, which may have you thinking, hey, Dave, actually the competition for the phrase David's biggest losers on the internet isn't really much of a competition. And I guess I'd have to agree with you. Yep. It looks like right now I own the phrase. I don't really want to. David's biggest losers. And here we are. This is volume six. Yep. We've done this every year. The podcast has existed. And this is volume six. Now I'm put in mind of one of my favorite Shakespeare quotes, which comes from the play The Motley Fool's name was pulled from. And that would be As You Like It. This one's from Act 4, Scene 1 of As You Like It. I had rather have a fool to make me merry than experience to make me sad. Well, we're going to be talking about some sad experiences this week, but I'll be joined by two of my favorite fools to maybe add some merriment, make me feel better anyway. I'll be making you feel merry, won't I? Because isn't it kind of fun to watch a professional, let's say an NBA player, just airball it 10 times in a row at the free throw line? I mean, it's fun to watch, isn't it? Cars crash, NASCAR. Isn't isn't that why people are watching? It's fun to watch people screw up. Bloopers, America's Funniest Home Videos. That's what this show is all about. David's Biggest Losers, Volume 6. Now, I'm cognizant that these are stocks that I've recommended, and you may own them. A lot of people do. So I don't want to make too much light of it because it's a bummer to lose. But the good news is that we continue to give out more winners that win bigger then our losers lose. It's funny. I don't actually dedicate 
any podcasts, all 52 weeks of every year here to my biggest winners. I've never done that, but I do like to celebrate once a year our biggest losers. So thank you for joining in. All right. Well, without further ado, let's go right at it. My six worst stock picks of the last three years. And I always like to start with the very worst. It's somewhat ironic because one of my very best friends at The Motley Fool is Rick Minares, my longtime friend and co-analyst here at The Motley Fool. Rick, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, David. I'm sorry to be here for this sad occasion, but I think we learn a lot from our losers. So it's good that you're doing this and I'm, and I'm honored to be talking about the bad, ugly stuff. Well, a year ago for David's Biggest Losers, Volume 5, you did a wonderful job presenting, so I thought, gotta have him back, and let me give him the three worst this year. So you've graciously accepted this mission. You've gone back and looked at each of these three companies. We'll do the worst one first in a sec, but let me mention, Rick has prepared for each of these two reasons why things have gone badly and one reason for hope, some glimmers for each of these. So Rick, before we get started, could you briefly introduce yourself and maybe say one of your earliest memories of the Motley Fool on AOL keyword fool back in the day? Wow. Okay. So um, I've been with the Motley Fool since 1995, definitely back in the AOL keyword fool days uh, as MF Edible, eventually as MF Edible when I was brought into the fold in 1995. Uh, my original name was Aristotle M uh, at AOL.com. And then it, uh, you know, then we all adopted MF Edibles, then TMF Edibles, and now, of course, TMF Breaker Rick, uh, because who wouldn't want a rule breaker name in their, in their handle? Uh, so yeah, but uh, I, one of my earliest memories, again, I mean, I live in Florida, so I wasn't one of the people that grew up uh, as you guys slowly grew to form uh, th- there in the DC area. But I mean, I remember going to Virginia uh, at least once a year, every other year. And every time it seemed like the office or more and more people in the office, the office space had to get bigger, you had to move in. Uh, so I watched this gradual growth that maybe you day by day, David, didn't notice. But I as like, a you know, an annual visitor uh, came in and just said, wow, so much has changed uh, uh, and improved and grown over the time. Well, you've done a wonderful job. You've brought so many great stocks to the attention of so many Rule Breaker members. And indeed, Rick, since you're one of our most published authors every day at Fool.com, just covering what's happening on the market, I thought it was totally appropriate to invite you in to talk about these three companies. Now, two of them are, in fact, Motley Fool Rule Breaker picks, and one of them is a Motley Fool Stock Advisor pick. But let's stop beating around the bush and go right at it. So my very worst stock pick in the last three years was picked three years ago this month. And because for David's Biggest Losers every year, I just look back three years, this is the last time I'll have to talk about this one because it will cycle out by 2022. But here we are, Rick. The date was January 24th, 2018. Anaptis Bio, ticker symbol ANAB, was trading at $116.91 a share that day. As I presented it to Rule Breaker members, I'm really horrified to admit its present trading price. Rick, as we record here on Tuesday afternoon, January 5th, Anaptis Bio has gone from $116.91 to $24.34. That is a loss of 79.1%. That is my worst stock pick of the last three years. So Rick, thing number one that hasn't gone so well for ticker symbol ANAB. Yes, of course. And Anaptis Bio, uh, as you can tell by the name, is a biotech. Uh, And when you're talking about biotechs, you sort of live and die by these clinical trials, especially for these early stage biotech companies. And and in this case, Anaptis Bio, there was one day, November 8th, 2019, that will live in in, in basically the infamy of its shareholders when the stock took a 72% hit in a single day. 
after Itoki, wait, let me see if I get this drug right, because I'm, I'm not Carl Thiel, uh, who should be pronouncing these, uh, Itoki, Itoki, Itoki Mob, uh, Itoki Mob, Itoki Mob. It almost sounds like a Pokemon, but it's basically – it was experimental treatment uh, for an antibody, and it was a treatment for eczema. Uh, and it was going to treat other things, but the treatment for eczema flopped in a critical phase two study. So you know, on any given day when you look at, this, at the, any daily markets, winners or losers, you're going to see biotech's winners and biotech's losers because that's how it is. You have a lot riding on these three phases of clinical trials, and there was a lot banking on, on, on it's basically this antibody uh, for to be – basically helping patients with eczema, and it did not pan out. You know, one of our better rule breaker stock picks is a company called Replogen. And Replogen, ticker symbol RPGN, is often the company that companies like Anaptis Bio use, use their tools in order to prepare for these FDA trials. And my one hot tip I can give you here, Rick, is that so many of those crazy drug names end with the three letters M-A-B, which stands for monoclonal antibody. And so that's exactly what etoclamab or whatever you just tried to say to us, what it was. And uh, so it's nice to know that, that Replogen was probably profiting even as Anaptis Bio didn't succeed. And you're right, a single day has sunk this stock for the last three years. You mentioned it was down 72% that day. Rick, overall down 79% now, three years later. What is thing number two that hasn't gone so well for Anaptis Bio? Yeah. And again, it w- this wasn't the only thing. I know you hear 72%, you're talking about 79%, and you think, well, yeah, that's most of the- But no, we're actually, this actually only took the stock from 35 to 10 because it has bounced back somewhat. This stock was sinking even before that dreadful day. And a lot of it was because there was mounting evidence that Itoki Mob, and now I know, I, I'm just going to say blah, 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 Mob uh, from <laughs> now on with your hot tip, David. Thank you. It wasn't going to be a game changer. It, it, it flopped earlier. Uh, it, was, it was being treated as a peanut allergy uh, 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 you know, treatment. Uh, that didn't work. Uh, and also a similar antibody candidate from Regeneron, a company that's had more success as a biotech uh, on many other fronts also didn't live up to the hype. It was working on its own IL-33 antibody for asthma patients. And it, while that test produced positive signals uh, two summers ago, it was not enough for Regeneron's existing drugs. So people just said, hey, maybe this isn't like the holy grail uh, of, of cures. And sure enough, we've had, uh, you know, Itokimab basically, you know, strike out at three different times on three different treatments. for mm. them. So this was a case to basically sell on the rumor, sell more on the news. And, and I think it's also a case, Rick, too, of these are really big diseases like eczema, asthma. These are these would have been huge markets. So I think that was part of the disappointment is if even one of those had worked, it would have been so great for Anaptis Bio. We're not saying this story is over, by the way. We're going to get to a glimmer of hope, I hope, in a minute. But it's worth pointing out that sort of like Icarus, who flew too high, he flew too near the sun and his wings melted from my memories of ancient Greek myths This is kind of a company that soared high because of expectations it could hit these big markets. And when it didn't hit any of them, wow, has it ever gotten whacked. We started a new tradition last year. I really liked it. I think we're going to do it again this year. My talented producer, Rick Engdahl, is on the hook for these. I think we should have a representative sound effect for each of these really bad picks. Thematically, on target where appropriate. So for Anaptis Bio, well, gee whiz. I can't really think of a, a bad biotech sound, but I'll tell you this. This has been my worst stock pick. So I think a cinematic explosion is entirely called for here. Yes, sir. Rick, give us a glimmer of hope. 
All right, so here's the hope, okay? So back in November, this is this November, not the previous November, which we know is so bad for investors. Uh, the company said that it had enough cash and cash equivalents and anticipated milestone revenue. So it gets milestone payments like from uh, Glaxo, uh, $20 million, you know, from certain milestones with some of its uh, things that are basically going through clinical trials uh, to fund its operating plan until at least 2023. And this is important because when you're an Aptis Bio, and this is a company that even though it's not a household name, it's advanced seven internally generated therapeutics to the clinic over the last five years. Time is the greatest gift of all. Hmm. Well, thank you very much for that. And yes, it is worth pointing out that Anaptis Bio hasn't done too badly in the last few months. It was as low as 14 in October, and the stock is now as we mentioned, cruising around 24. So depending on when you bought this stock, you might really like Anaptis Bio. I will point out in closing on this one that this company, just like the other five, are all active recommendations today at Motley Fool Rule Breakers or Motley Fool Stock Advisor. We haven't swept any of them under the rug. We hope we continue to hold out hope for each of them. Uh, but we also recognize that sometimes you make bad picks in life. I'll probably talk a little bit about that at the end of this week's show. But Rick, thank you. That's Anaptis Bio, ticker symbol ANAB, down 79.1%. My worst stock pick in the last three years. Well, let's move on to my second worst stock pick in the last three years. And you know, both of these were featured on last year's show. So if you want to go back and listen to David's Biggest Losers, Volume 5, January of 2020, you'll hear us in process with both Anaptis Bio, which by the way, was in the number one poll position last year's show as well. And here we are with IGE, ticker symbol IQ. This has often been referred to as the Netflix of China, well, not at all in terms of its stock performance, I'm sorry to say. I first picked iQE at $18.01. It was late April of 2018, so almost three years ago. And to think that the stock right now is at $18.60, you might think, well, that's not that bad a stock pick because I picked it at 18 and now it's at 18.60 a few years later. But the problem is this. As the stock soared in spring and summer of 2018, I re-recommended IGE, ticker symbol again, IQ. It was June 14th of 2018. It had gone from 18 to 40 and a half in less than two months. Having taken a shine to it, I re-recommended it right there at $40.51, which means now that it's back down to 18.60, two and a half years later, this is my second worst stock pick, down 54 point. 1%. So a really interesting thing, Rick. Often I do like to add to my winners, and I felt like we had a tiger by the tail back then. Turns out, well, if it was a tiger, it was kind of an, an anemic one, uh, not one of those strong Asian tigers that I thought I'd gotten us all invested in. Rick, what has been going wrong, number one, for IGE? Yeah, it was more of a paper tiger, I think. And I think instead of the Netflix of China, maybe it was the blockbuster of China. But I, I don't want to write it off just yet. Out. Because uh, again, I mean, uh, and I fell for that, the whole Netflix of China thing. Um, it's, it's, and I feel bad because I sort of nudged you towards Aichi I uh, um, at the time. And at the time, yeah, it was the Netflix of China because it was the leading player uh, in streaming in, in, in China. And obviously, uh, uh, I think we do this a lot with investing to basically make uh, different industries and different 
uh, companies in different countries uh, seem more familiar to you know basically investors, U.S. investors. We play this yeah. Mad Libs game where we take a hot stock uh, in the first blank space and an industry region in the second, and it doesn't <laughs> always pan out. Um, but once in a while, sometimes you're actually right on this. And like Mercado Libre was a company that we called the eBay of South America when it went public and when it was started, you know, entered our universe. Uh, and now eBay would love to be the Mercado Libre of North America right now. So, <laughs> so sometimes it does pan out, but obviously with this, it didn't. Um, but for Ikiji, I'm sorry, Ichiji, it, it happened that it was, it, it was really hot when it went public. Uh, in 2016, revenue more than doubled. Revenue was up 55% 2017, the year before it went public. And revenue was up 44% in 2018. So uh, it was doing sort of all right even when it went public. But deceleration was the trend, and that's normal. But then we saw revenue decline 16% last year. And I'm, by last year, I'm sorry, I mean 2019. And if we're looking at 2020, this will be single-digit growth for the company. So this is really not a company that failed. It, it definitely failed to live up to this Netflix of China or any mm. hot company of China hype. So a huge slowdown. And you know it's so often true of our rule-breaker companies that they are big growers. They're going fast, and the market recognizes that, and they trade up at premium multiples because of that growth. And if the growth hits the skids for whatever reason, these often end up on David's Biggest Losers Volume X, and that's why IGE is a repeat performer. Ricks, what's something else that hasn't gone so well for IGE? Yeah, so another issue with IGE is basically monetization. So um, it, it works differently. It's not like Netflix. Netflix, everybody pays. Uh, some people, that, you know, you start on a free trial, but everybody's a paying subscriber. Uh, most of China and most of, of the, basically the, the IGE's uh, users, they're, they're streaming on a free ad-supported version of it. And through most 2019 and 2020, ad revenue was actually declining for many factors, uh, but it clearly wasn't helping. The saving grace initially was that premium subscriptions, they were on the rise, which is why revenue rose in 2019 uh, and held up sort of okay through through 2020 until recently. But in its latest quarter, so basically at the end of September, we were up at 104.8 million paying subscribers on the platform. And that was less than the 105.8 million that were there a year earlier. So if Netflix, Netflix has its hiccups, but if if it ever has a year over year where actually subscribers have declined, people would sort of panic. And I think you sort of saw that here with Hachigi. We were talking before the podcast started, what is an appropriate sound effect for a movie company that is not getting it done and I think, you know, you know that sound when a film reel kind of runs out and it's just the flipping, the old, you know, back when there was film and on actual reels, it wasn't all digital. Maybe that could be the sound effect for this bad stock pick. All right, Rick. Well, there can be a silver lining in every dark cloud. What do you see potentially ahead for 2021 and beyond for this active rule breaker recommendation, ticker symbol IQ? Yeah, so uh, it, it's it's a couple small things here, but the first is that it, its ad revenue actually started to turn positive in its latest quarter. So while its subscription revenue is now struggling, its ad revenue is sort of starting to pick up again, at least sequentially, and that's nice to see. And also, this is a company that is neck to neck, basically with Tencent Video as the leaders in this very important market. And late last year, uh, we had uh, Reuters was reporting that Tencent and Alibaba, uh, Alibaba is basically a distant bronze medalist in this market. They were talking to Aichiyi, uh, majority stakeholder, which happens to be Baidu, a, a company that's done very well for us over the, over the years, uh, about bet. acquiring a controlling stake. Uh, so, And it didn't pan out. And of course, we don't even know if the chatter was true, even though Riders is pretty credible. And we were sort of talking about this for months uh, last year in, in 2019. But the chatter does, it does validate 
the fact that that Aichi is an important player. Uh, whether Tencent or Alibaba step up in 2020, not that we'll have the stock as a bio candidate at all. Um, just the fact that they're interested, it sort of sort of basically justifies the fact that Aichi is still an important company and a player with a very large audience. All right. And yeah, it is worth reminding ourselves, this is still a pretty substantial company. A lot of times, stocks that have been cut in half or worse for me end up down in micro capville. But Rick, this company's market cap just over $14 billion as we speak today. So by the way, I didn't mention Anaptis Bio is in micro capville. Our first stock, my biggest loser, is only a $650 million market cap these days. But gee whiz, IGE, over $14 billion. This is not a company that's going to go to business anytime soon. Definitely. All right. My third worst stock pick of the last three years. We're going to go over to the Motley Fool Stock Advisor Service for this one. This is my worst stock advisor pick the last three years. Hawaiian Holdings. The ticker symbol on the NASDAQ is HA. Yep, this is Hawaiian Air. This is a product I've enjoyed. Uh, I wish I could have enjoyed it more in my past, but back when the world traveled, do you remember those days, everybody? Yeah, I went to Hawaii a couple of times, and I remember going on a Hawaiian Air airlines airplane and enjoying the experience and thinking, wow, these these guys are really well positioned because it's it's not quite a monopoly, but they dominate back and forth, US mainland to Hawaii and back in a few other places too. Unfortunately, things haven't gone so well for the travel industry. And when you have a lot of airplanes you, that aren't flying that you need to keep maintaining, well, that can be very costly. Hawaiian Air, I first picked on January 17th of 2019. So that would be two years ago this month. There's something about January where I don't pick good stocks. Anyway, the stock back then was at $32.78. Just check the price here. Market close on Tuesday, January 5th, and it's gone from $32.78 down to $18. Even that is a loss of 45.1%. Rick Minaris, have you ever flown Hawaiian Air? I have. I have. I've been to Honolulu a few times, uh, flying out of Los Angeles. Now, I don't know if they fly from Florida all the way over there, but I have connected <laughs> from, from basically California to Hawaii uh, all right. once or twice. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. But Rick, things haven't been going so great for Hawaiian Air in the last couple of years. I think many of us can probably imagine why, but what's thing number one that presents itself to your mind? Yes, the, the pandemic, of course. And Hawaiian Airlines, they rely on leisure and luxury leisure tourism. And folks obviously aren't going to Hawaii. They didn't go to Hawaii last year. Uh, and and the, the islands, they also clamped down. So uh, the state had a mandatory 14-day quarantine with a proof of a negative COVID-19 test for anyone traveling into Hawaii. So even if you wanted to go to Hawaii, there were a lot of hoops to jump through. Uh, and whether it was enforced or not, you still sort of had to make it a long trip and sort of, in, in, in theory, stay in quarantine. So a lot of people just said, you know, I'm just not going to go to Hawaii this summer. Uh, and, and, and that basically happened. So uh, Hawaii Airlines is actually faring worse th than most of its other domestic rival airlines. So Delta, American, and Southwest, they've all seen their revenue over the trailing four quarters decline in the low to mid 40% range. And obviously, it's been far worse the last two quarters. I'm just using the last 12 months, which includes the fourth quarter of 2019 and the first quarter of 2020, uh, before everything started to go really, really soggy. Uh, but Hawaiian is at a 50% decline in revenue over the trailing 12 months versus the same months before. So clearly, it is a bad time to be an airline. And it was even a worse time to be Hawaiian Holdings, the parent company of Hawaiian Airlines. And it's just such unfortunate timing and horrible timing on my part. It's even a little scary for me to say what the market cap of this company is, because I think when we fly 
a company. We use a company services and they're an airline company. We want them to have a big market cap. I think big market caps make us feel safer as passengers. I do regret to mention that Hawaiian Holdings present market cap is below a, a billion dollars. So if and when any of us flies Hawaiian Air again, we'll hope the stock is back up over a billion dollars because I don't think I want to be flying too many micro cap airlines. Rick Minars, what's the thing that's gone wrong? Number two. The other reason to fasten your seatbelts and for a bumpy ride is that business wasn't so hot even before the pandemic. So obviously we know 2020 was bad, but 2019 wasn't so hot either for Hawaiian Holdings. Uh, revenue dipped slightly, uh, you know, just down 0.2%, but still negative for all of 2019. It only had 11.7 million revenue passengers that year, down from 11.8 million a year earlier. So Hawaiian Holdings, they were basically, they said, oh, it's just a competitive environment um, as, as other you know players are trying to just you know take some of that business. But generally, it was just a rough time for Hawaiian tourism and for Hawaiian Airlines even before the pandemic. So yeah, this was obviously bad last year, but not so hot in 2019 either. Well, before we go to our glimmer of hope moment for Hawaiian Air, I can imagine what some of that content might be. I do think we need to play a sound effect. I don't want to forget this. This is important for each of these bad stock picks. And I don't think playing a plane crashing is something that I want to play on this podcast. So let's go with a really bad luau song or, I don't know, how about a luau guitar misfiring, Rick Engdahl? Well, speaking of glimmers of hope, Rick Minars, I hear there's this thing called a vaccine. Vaccine maybe at play here in 2021. Your thoughts? Yes, there's definitely good hope that we will get out of this at some point this year. Uh, so it's not all poi sun, uh, pardon the play on words, uh, when it comes to Hawaiian holdings. And so, so I mean, and airlines, we, while they have been hard, hit hard, fuel prices are low. And so are the expectations. And last month, basically in December, uh, Hawaiian Airways introduced four new domestic routes, including three new cities that will be flying in the spring. And it's also important to remember here with Hawaiian Airlines, and I mentioned this earlier, but it's important to connect this. This is mostly a travel airline. There isn't a lot of corporate travel to Hawaii. I know they have some conventions there and stuff like that, but there's not really a lot of business travel. And even though that may not make much sense right now, I think that while there is pent-up demand for folks to travel again for leisure, I don't think the same will hold true for corporate travel, where a lot more of that in the future is going to be done through video conferencing or virtual means. So I think Hawaiian Airlines should be one of, go from one of the worst performers amongst airlines over the past year on a trailing basis to one of the better performers uh, as far as just its, its business will pick up faster than we will have others that are relying on business uh, meetings and travel and corporate events uh, to be happening. So I think Hawaiian Airlines has a brighter future from this point on uh, than many of the other air carriers out there. Well, we will be watching, won't we? And you know, how many times in the last few months have I heard people point this out? Maybe you've heard this too, Rick, that after the epidemic, the flu pandemic of 1918, the roaring 20s showed up. And I can only imagine that if, if 2021 or 2022 becomes a great big party, and darn it, I sure hope they do, I could imagine a lot of people might like to party in Hawaii. So let's keep our fingers crossed for Hawaiian Air that it can make it through an absolutely brutal environment for a small plane carrier. I will bring my zoot suit and we will uh, you know, take a plane to, 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 to a speakeasy in Honolulu, David. <sighs> Thank you, Rick. Thank you for bravely shouldering the burden of talking about my three very worst stock picks. Again, Anaptis Bio down 79%, Aichi down 54%, and Hawaiian 
Holdings down 45%. Rick, talk to you again soon. Thank you, David. All right. Well, I, I think it's fair to call this halftime. Three down, three to go. And sometimes on this show, we use halftime to bring out the marching band and have some follies. And that's exactly what I've designed for this week's show. Because one thing that jumps out to me is that these bad performers actually haven't been that bad. In years past, David's Biggest Losers has been full of stocks that have lost 80% or more of their value. And this year, the next three that are coming are all down about a third or so since I first picked them in the last three years. So why would that be? Well, I think we all know why that would be. The stock market has been amazingly strong. In fact, I'm looking at Motley Fool Stock Advisor. I've made 36 picks, one per month over the last three years. So it's from that group of 36 that we've selected, for example, Hawaiian Holdings, which has been such a bad stock pick. But nine of the 36 picks that I've made in Stock Advisor have doubled or better in the last three years. That's inside of three years. And 28 of the 36 are making money. So it's kind of slim pickings when you're looking back over the last three years, thinking about how strong the market has been. And wow, over in Rule Breakers, I've picked two stocks every month over these last three years. So that would be 24 times three is 72 picks. And out of those 72 picks, get a load of this. 61 of them are up, 11 are down. So that's a pretty high hit rate. But here's a really high hit rate. Of the 72, 33 of the picks have doubled or better. That's all inside of three years. I even took the time to tot this up because it was quite amazing. We have had 16 two-baggers, eight three-baggers, five four-baggers, one five-bagger, two six-baggers, and one ten-bagger. And for people who are new to this talk, when I say bagger, it means it's a two-bagger has doubled its money. It's made a trip around the bases, which is where Peter Lynch's longtime metaphors come from the sport of baseball. So when I say we've had 16 two-baggers, 16 of our 72 picks in the last three years have doubled and wow, eight three-baggers, etc. MongoDB on its own up 10 times pretty much wipes all of the bad stock picks that you're hearing about on this week's show for anybody who's owned MongoDB. So I'll now ask the marching band to put down its instruments and begin to settle down for the second half. But it's worth pointing out just how incredibly strong the market has been, and in particular, how incredibly strong the rule breaker investing strategy and these kinds of companies that we've talked about on this podcast, not just for the last three years, but for the last six years now that we're into 2021, just how strong that strategy has been rewarded in recent years. It's very unlikely we'll see anything like those numbers over the next three years because it's been so tremendously spectacular. Now, I'm not sounding a bearish note. I think the market's going up this year. And it does go up more years than it goes down, but it's worth reminding ourselves, especially for newer investors, pinch yourself. It's very hard to ever put up numbers like this on any consistent basis. I myself am amazed by the performance of Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor here over the last three years. All right. Well, for the second half, I'd like to welcome back another one of my guest stars. It is my longtime friend and analyst, Carl Teal. Carl, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much for graciously consenting to look over some of my very worst picks over the last three years. Carl, could you give a sentence or two about who you are and maybe one past work experience for you? What did you do before you came to The Motley Fool? Um, I, Among many things I have done from shoe salesman to record store flunky in my, in my extreme youth, uh, I was... Uh, I, I, 
worked on a uh, biotech mutual fund at one point, kind of shortly before I uh, I came to the Motley Fool, and that explains a little bit about what I do. I'm an analyst on Rule Breakers and on Stock Advisor. Been with the company about 16 years, and um, have a special love of of uh, healthcare, but not exclusively that. Well, and we're not going to be talking too much healthcare as I look over these three particular companies, Carl. But like so many Motley Fools, you are a five-tool athlete. You can do it all. So let's look across a Motley array here of companies. Worst stock pick in the last three years, number four, Nutanix, ticker symbol NTNX. Took a shine to it in March of 2018. The stock was at $47.94 back then. It closed Tuesday of this week at $31.09. That means it's down 35.1% over the last three years. Carl, what is something that has gone wrong for Nutanix? Okay, well, I'll just give you a few quick numbers. Uh, in the company's fiscal 2017, revenue grew 68%. In 2018, it grew 37%. In 2019, it grew 7%. And in 2020, it grew 5.8%. And it's actually a tick lower than that now for the trailing 12 months. Um, they have just had straight up poor execution of sales. Now, the numbers I'm giving you are a little bit tweaked by the fact that they've also been shifting to a subscription model. And so that means kind of less upfront money, more deferred revenue um, that do tweak those numbers. But that does not explain all of it. I mean, they have acknowledged that they have just been doing poor job with lead generation and, and kind of following through on sales. So well, a lot of people will not know anything about Nutanix. And I wish I didn't know anything about Nutanix at this point. But could you just briefly lay out kind of what is this enterprise software company that's transitioning from enterprise sales, uh, the older format to the more clouded sales these days, which has been very promising for so many companies that have done this over the years. But what is Nutanix doing? I don't want to pretend I know this company better than I do. You'd have to ask our fellow analyst, Tim Byers, for a truly expert take. But um, they do sort of hybrid cloud solutions. So the idea is if you want um, to have part of your business in the cloud on something like Amazon Web Services, but you also want to own your own equipment uh, and be integrating those two things together, this kind of gives you the, the operating system for your uh, equipment and the software to tie it all together, something that they have called a $100 billion market. Mm. Well, well explained. And hyper-converged infrastructure is some of the jargon used around this company. It reminds me how truly complicated cloud software and the whole business can be. And this is one of the harder ones to understand, which, by the way, kind of goes against Peter Lynch's old dictum that you should be able to pitch anybody the stock in a quick elevator ride of 60 seconds as to why you're invested in that company. Sometimes in the past, I've said great stocks don't make me think. Unfortunately, this one does make us have to think quite a bit to understand what Nutanix does. Carl, what's something else besides the huge sales slowdown that hasn't gone so well for Nutanix? Yeah. So in addition to that and just the the sort of growing pains with switching over to this um, subscription model, I don't think it helped that um, the company's founder and CEO, uh, Dheeraj Pandey, stepped down kind of surprisingly in August. There was really not very much warning of that. And I think that just kind of added to the sense of disarray at the company. Yeah. And indeed, since this is now our sixth episode, our sixth year in a row of doing this, two of the big themes that always come back each year are sales slowdowns 
and change in management, especially when the CEO has left recently or if the co-founder takes off or both of them do if they're not the same person. These are often some of our worst companies. When I think about the cloud and enterprise, and I think, what is a sound that could emerge, a scary sound from clouds? I'm not sure it actually emerges from clouds, but thunder seems to attend clouds, and it is an awfully scary sound. And I sure wish I'd heard this sound just before I picked the stock, because maybe I wouldn't have. Carl, is there reason for hope? I'm hearing you talk about how the company's transitioning over to, to the cloud. That often can make financials look bad in the near term, but improve after that. Yeah, and I think that's the case here. And you mentioned hyper-converged infrastructure, which is very jargony. But I will say that the uh, uh, research firm Gartner uh, has a magic quadrant for hyper-converged infrastructure software. And um, just a few weeks ago, Nutanix was named um, a leader and kind of the runaway leader for the fourth year in a row. So you know they they haven't lost their edge in this market and i do think the market is is a good one they're just having a really poor job with execution and and kind of a just some growing pains and i think once they start to move back through those growing pains and can kind of right size some of this stuff they still have a pretty decent opportunity well some of david's biggest losers every year do bounce back and in fact i'll be closing the show with how last year's list has done since last year's show to this year it's fun to look back on these i will point out nutonix been a pretty strong stock. The stock was down around 15 in April of last year. So now eight months later, it's doubled, which isn't a bad eight-month return. So often, some of my worst picks are just because I timed them wrong. I didn't buy that. I should have bought that other quarter, not that that first quarter. Whatever I did, uh, I did it wrong. So let's leave Nutanix right there, stock number four. All right. So now on to worst performer number five. The ticker symbol is BZUN. This is Bowson. It was at $54 and a half in June of 2018. Two and a half years later, it's gone from 54 and a half to about 35 and a half. This stock is down 34.7%. So earlier, Rick and I were making light of saying things like the Netflix of China. I always love you know, the Elvis of Mexico. We have this tendency as Americans, especially, I think, to try to relate other cultures to pop cultural ph- phenomena of our own. So, Bowson, we've sometimes said in the past, Carl, the Shopify of China. But in the same way that IGE hasn't exactly performed like Netflix, Bowson has not exactly performed like Shopify. Carl, what's been happening with Bowson? Um, so you you were just talking about uh, with Nutanix how you know maybe if you had bought it at a slightly different time, uh, recommended it at a slightly different time, things would be different. That is truly the case with this one. And not to pour any salt on wounds or anything, but if you pull up a five year chart of Bowson, there is this big peak right <laughs> around June of 2018, uh, and then it comes straight down. I hit it perfectly. So this one is really more of a flat performer for the last couple of years than it is, you know, it's certainly not a falling knife. It's just kind of been moving sideways. Um, and, and I think, you know, there are a few reasons for that. Certainly one is the volatility of the Chinese economy or, or really the, the slowing of the Chinese economy. I, I personally find this kind of hard to wrap my head around, but Economic growth of China uh, of 6.1% in 2019 was a 30-year low. Incredible. Amazing. And it's slowed since then. 
And um, I mean, bottom line, this company basically helps uh, foreign brands to have a presence in the Chinese market. And those are typically uh, kind of higher end luxury goods. And if the economy is slow, then there's always the risk that these sales uh, do not do well. I neglected to mention earlier Nutanix's market cap, which is right around $6 billion. Bowson, also having lost a third of its value in the last few years, is right around $2.8 billion. Uh, on the key data I'm looking at on the NASDAQ site right now, it can sometimes be a little confusing with ADRs. I think I have that one right, Carl. But $2.8 billion, that's nothing to sneeze at. And like IGE, which we mentioned earlier, it's not like this company is going to disappear anytime soon. Carl, what's something else that has not gone so well for Bowson and or its shareholders? Well, I think contributing to investor discomfort has been um, certainly the trade war has been a a factor. And then I think more recently, um, the company just did a really big share offering with uh, 40 new 40 million new shares worth of dilution. Um, That was back in September. And I, I, you know, I think that, again, just is a little bit more discomfort for investors. All right. Well, you know, anytime a company adds more shares into the market, more people are buying it, but that does dilute all existing shareholders, which doesn't usually make existing shareholders that happy. But sometimes it can be a neutral as opposed to merely a drawback because after all, the company did raise money and it can then deploy that toward its growth. Nothing specifically comes to mind in terms of what is an appropriate sound effect for me for Bowsen. So I'm just going to ask Rick Engdahl, who is a musician himself and has deep musical knowledge to play us a brief snatch of a really sad song. Lacrimos indeed. This is a company that's been a little bit spotty on its growth, but it is a company, by the way, that is profitable. We're not talking about um, a fly-by-night company hoping one day to make a profit. Bowson is profitable. Maybe there's some hope there. Carl, do you see any other hope for ticker symbol BZUN? Well, th- this one was easy in that I see mostly... I mean, I I feel like this company has been a little bit unfairly beaten up. I mean, they never really stopped executing growth, uh, given all the difficulties we just mentioned with uh, China's economy. I mean, it still grew solidly in, over 2020. Um and at some point, if you know you keep growing while your stock price remains the same, something's got to give. Uh, so at this point, they're trading at less than twenty times projected earnings for twenty twenty one. You know, I think until there's there's nothing actually broken with the story here, and it looks pretty good going forward. Well, that's good to hear. You know, this is one of those stocks where, and I never look at charts in this way. I'm having fun with this, but anytime it went over 42, you should have been selling in the last year. And anytime it went down below 32, you should have been buying because it's been kind of a sine wave stock here. Uh, It looks like a cyclical, but this is not a cyclical company. At least that's not our expectation or hope. Well, again, all of these six stocks, as I've already mentioned more than once, is an active, remains an active recommendation, in this case for Motley Fool. Rule breakers. So, we fellow rule breakers, we generally happy few uh, will hope for better things for Bowsen in the couple of years ahead. This is also a 2018 bad pick, though. So, this will be the last time it shows in a David's Biggest Losers podcast because we only look back three years. And by January of 2022, we will no longer see 2018. 
which seems like the year where I picked all of my losers, but also some of my very best picks I've made in the last few years. So funny to note that. Well, Carl, let's go on to the final one then. Really, all three of these stocks that you and I are talking about are all down right about the same amount. BlackBerry, ticker symbol BB, is my sixth worst pick of the last three years. It was at $10.33 in mid-July of 2018. So less than two and a half years later, it's gone from 10 and a third down to six and three quarters. BlackBerry is down 34.5%, just enough, just down enough to make this podcast. Now, Carl, this is a company a lot of us know. We remember how BlackBerry dominated corporate email, in particular mobile email on the go in the 1990s. The company these days has really tried to transition after getting absolutely whacked by the Apple iPhone. It's been transitioning into cybersecurity. What has not been going well for BlackBerry? So yeah, BlackBerry makes its money in a few different ways. It makes its money on, it was always known with its handsets for for having high levels of security. Um, and they were favored sometimes as corporate devices for simply that reason. And, and that's really what BlackBerry doubled down on when it changed its name away from Research in Motion. Um, so it kind of, it makes money from, from its security business, from its IoT business, and from its licensing. And on the security side, um, it made a big acquisition. It's its biggest, I think, ever all cash one point four billion dollar acquisition of Silence in uh, twenty eighteen, and it just hasn't worked out all that all that well. Um, even though BlackBerry has eked out some growth, uh, the kind of the software and services side of it um, has dragged it back a little bit. And um, you would have thought that this year, when you know, because they're specializing in endpoint security, so how do you how do you protect you know this laptop, this device, and everything in in a corporate network? I mean, this in a in a work from home time, you would think that that was doing really well, but you know, the, it's been no crowd strike. Let's put it that way. All right. Well, and you can only imagine, I can only imagine anyway, the difficulty of trying to transition from the BlackBerry that was to the BlackBerry that will be and still remain a going concern. So in a lot of ways, it's impressive what this leading Canadian company has managed to do. It's market cap, by the way, $3.7 billion today, uh, a fraction of where it was back in the golden times. But Carl, we've been promising two things going wrong for each of these companies. What's the second thing beyond that Silence acquisition that hasn't been going so well for BlackBerry. Well, I mentioned two legs to the stool. Another leg is its licensing business. Um, even though they're not really in the handset business anymore, they own some thirty-eight thousand patents and they license them out. And there are BlackBerry devices um, that are made using those patents. But this is kind of a this is kind of a go nowhere business. Um, and at the same time, it's still significant. So they're looking at this to shrink in the uh, in the current year. Um, and you know it's just hard to see this becoming a major growth driver. So it just becomes kind of a, an important leg but a, but a shrinking one, which is which is a little bit of a weight on the company. Mm. And for this bad sound effect, I'm thinking Blackberry makes me think of berries. a juicer. There's got to be kind of a, a juicer sound because this stock has been juiced. All right. Well, now let's turn toward the positive. And you don't have to look very far back to find a real positive. This stock was just kind of hanging around $5 a share in November. And all of a sudden, I think it was an earnings report right at the end of November, it all of a sudden gapped from six up to nearly nine. It was up 
almost 50% in the first few weeks of December, again, just a month ago, settling now just below 7 But that is outstanding recent performance. And often, Carl, I think the market likes to look ahead. So with the stock surging, do you see some reason for optimism here for BlackBerry in 2021? Well, this is the reason why stools have three legs. Uh, there is a third one, and that is the IoT business. And um, that that looks pretty promising going forward. And I think one of the big catalysts has been a um, recent deal with Amazon Web Services that uh, BlackBerry announced. That's right. So they have their, their QNX operating system, which is particularly used in vehicles. So the idea is to create sort of a standard, secure operating system that auto manufacturers can use to uh, develop vehicle apps or connected services. Um, And they have about 50% market share, but the rest of the market, from what I see, is very fractured. And so partnering with Amazon Web Services and saying like, look, this is going to be fast, easy, and secure for you to develop some new connected service for an automobile, that makes it pretty appealing to, to kind of adopt QNX and make that more of the standard. And I think that is a definite piece of good news for them going forward. All right. And you're absolutely right. I think I misspoke. It it really was that Amazon Web Services announcement. I see now it was on December 1st. So just one month ago that really did catapult uh, BlackBerry stock. So let's hope for some continued better things in the months ahead. Well, Carl, I want to thank you very much for reviewing three more of my very worst stock picks of the last three years. Do you have any overall reflection before I let you go? Honestly, that when you gave me these picks, I was like, really? Just like 30-some percent? That doesn't seem bad. for <laughs> Considering how much we swing for the fences from time to time, I thought this was a pretty tame list. Well, it is true. I guess if we do the math, we've picked 108 stocks over these three years and rule breakers and stock advisors. So out of 108, for our sixth worst to be down 34%, I think I'd probably take that most three-year periods. It has been a remarkable time. Well, Carl, thank you so much once again for your contribution to Rule Breaker Investing. Thank you. Well, after so much Sturm und Drang and some sad moments, some sad songs and sounds and regrets for bad decisions acted upon, I did promise earlier in the show that there might be some more light at the end of the tunnel. It comes in this form. Each year, For David's Biggest Losers, I've enjoyed looking back at how the ones from the previous year did in the ensuing 12 months. So now we're going to go back to last year's show, where I covered six stocks once again, the six worst performers of the previous three years up to January of 2020. And let's see how each of them has done. And before we start this, I'm going to ask for my final sound effect, because Rick Engdahl, darn it, we need the theme from the movie, The Best Picture Rocky. All right, we'll take him in order of how they've done since from worst to best. Let's start first of all with Travago. Travago on last year's show was the second worst performer. It was at $2.75. I'm sad to say that it's gone from $2.75 down to $2.25 in the last year. So it's lost, again, about 20% of its value. I'm even sadder to say that we parted ways with it earlier this year at $1.60. In other words, it's actually come back some from when I decided disconsolately finally to sell this stock in Motley Fool Rule Breakers. So Trivago has been an underperformer. Another underperformer, and I referenced it earlier, was IGE. 
IGE, which we've already covered in this show, was at 23.5 a, a year ago when it was also on David's Biggest Losers. But this year, it's gone from 23.5 to 18.5, so not such a good year for IGE. But now maybe a little bit more Rocky music comes back. Because let's next look at another stock we covered this show, Anaptis Bio, ticker symbol A-N-A-B. Yes, it's still well down from when we first picked it years ago, but I'm happy to say in the past year, since I featured it on last year's show, it's gone from 15 last year up to 24 this year. That's a 60% gain, but it gets better from there because Camping World Holdings, Marcus Lamonis, the CEO of Camping World Holdings, who's also star of the CNBC show The Prophet, Marcus Lamonis went to Rick's high school. I remember him mentioning it last year. Well, it's been quite a year for the RV industry, as we would all understand. And Camping World Holdings was at 13 when it was featured on last year's show. One year later, it's at 28, more than a double. And then the star of that show. Now, looking back, Upwork, ticker symbol UPWK. This is a company that supports the gig economy. It competes with Fiverr, for those who know Fiverr. Upwork, a year ago, was featured in two of the six slots. That's right. I recommended Upwork. It went down. I recommended it again. It went down even further. And so Upwork was number four and number five on last year's show when it was around $10 a share. Well, Upwork today is at 30 four and a half. So I think a basket of buying the dogs of last year's David's Biggest Losers has been a market beater. Thanks in no small part to Upwork, but certainly Camping World Holdings and Anaptis Bio making contributions as well. So a few quick thoughts just to close, three of them for you. The first is losing is normal, right? We're learning how to skate as we invest. And if you've ever learned how to skate, either on roller skates or ice skates, you know that you fell. You fell a lot. And that's when you're learning skating. But I think investing is permanently like learning skating. That is, 35 years after I've started, I still fall all over the ice. Look what we've just featured this week. All of these bad stock picks I've made. You'd think I'd have gotten better. But no, I think losing is always going to be part of investing. This is normal, my friends. Second thought, we like to talk about our losers. I actually had some fun this show. I hope you did too. You know, being transparent is so important to us at The Motley Fool. We try to be a financial source for you that's going to give you accountability. We own all that we do. And I realize the internet especially is a powerful medium in that regard because I've been able to just look at the scorecards that we publish for all our members and pull these stocks right off of them and give you the prices where they were then and where they are now. I've always loved that the internet is a medium with a memory. TV, by contrast, a lot of people get financial advice from TV. TV, in my experience, has no real memory. So there are people who make constantly unaccountable claims all the time, making stock market calls on individual stocks or the market at large, and no one really ever remembers what they said because they're not looking to be transparent and accountable. Well, that's what I love doing on this show. And third and finally, don't live in fear of losing because you'll never really win. You'll never have the moon a beautiful song's lyrics once went. Losing to win is one of my big themes, and it even won a bestie last year because it was one of my favorite podcasts that I got to do for you last year. If you want to hear me talking even more about my miserable losers, go back just a few months ago and listen to my Losing to Win 
podcast. We're talking schadenfreude city here. But a reminder, part of losing to win is that your winners will so far outweigh your losers if you just give them time to do so. In that dynamic world of stock market trading that is so often depicted in ads uh, or people throwing up pieces of paper, it used to be on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, a lot of you and me, a lot of individual mom and pop investors came away with the idea that we had to be very active to do it well. Well, I've never felt that doing it well involves being very active. And in fact, allowing your losers to lose and your winners to win, in my experience, almost always pays you far beyond what you would have thought. So patience is at the heart of this and not living in fear of losing because you'll never really win if you don't allow yourself to lose. And maybe I'll mention one final stock here at the end then, because it was volume two of David's Biggest Losers, January 2017, when at the time I was including this company, Restoration Hardware. The company is now called RH. They've shortened their name just to RH. The ticker symbol remains RH. But it was presented again four years ago this week when I did David's Biggest Losers. This is the ultimate comeback stock. It was at 25 back then. I featured it last year's show with some more Rocky music because it had gone from 25 to 225. That's right, up nine times in value since we featured it on this show four years ago as one of my biggest losers. And darn it, over the last year, if Restoration Hardware, RH, hasn't doubled yet again from $225 a share to $450 a share. So that 18 times return on its own, again, will wipe out all of David's biggest losers that have ever been featured on this podcast series. So I hope you're taking that lesson to heart. Well, thanks again for joining with me here at the start of it all, the start of 2021. On next week's show, I'm going to be talking about how to build and maintain a portfolio. This is one of those conversations that keeps happening with mailbag entries that I speak to over the years, but I really want to definitively speak next week to how to start a portfolio and then how to maintain a portfolio the rule breaker way. So we have that to look forward to. In the meantime, have a great week. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.